Well, good morning, everyone. So glad that you are here with us. Uh, if we have not met, my name is David. And though you may find this hard to believe, I am the senior pastor of this church. Uh, it is uh, good to be with you. Uh, it's good to share with you an expression of how much we love Christmas. I've been told many times in my life that I take myself too seriously. Uh, so this is my annual tradition of, of dealing with that flaw in my character. Uh, and I want you to know if you were here last year, this is a new suit. I have another one. Because the one I got last year, I had the pants altered. And still, the day that I wore it was the scariest day of my life. I was worried I was going to relive middle school there for a moment. And the other, the other proof I have of that is I, I got here last night and it still had the tag on it. It was like a threaded tag, you know, those ones that are really hard to, to get off. And I was in the, in the room back here and this is the only thing that I could find to take the tag off. So I, I, did, I did get that off, but uh, glad to be with you as we share the second message uh, in this uh, series. Before we dive into that, I wanna say a few words to you about Christmas Eve. If you look on the inside of your bulletin, uh, you will see a list of all the Christmas Eve services that we have. We have 11 of them on the 23rd and the 24th. Uh, and uh, of the 11, there are three things that will be the same at all of them. Number one, I won't be wearing this. Number two, we're going to sing Silent Night at the end and we'll pass the, the candle, I will pass the light of Christmas uh, among everyone who is here uh, for each and every service. But there are really four different kinds of services that I wanna tell you about. First are our family services. Uh, and those are services led by our children's worship team. Uh, they will uh, also have a, an opportunity for every kid present uh, to participate in the Christmas story. Uh, our contemporary worship uh, services, uh, we have three of those, uh, will be led by our contemporary worship teams and our Voices United Youth Choir. We have our tradition service, there's three of those, uh, and those include our bell, our or bells, our orchestra, our choir, the, the whole nine yards, we have three of those. And then we have an 11.30 service on the 24th. And what's unique about that is uh, two things. Uh, we receive Holy Communion, we share that together at that service, it's 30 minutes long, and there's no sermon. So if either one of those things appeal to you, then 11.30, <laughs> Uh, on the 24th, uh, love for you to be here. It's a really neat way to begin Christmas Day because we, we finish right at midnight. Now, I wanna talk about these three times real quick. So four, six, and 8 p.m. If you look at your list, you'll notice that we have the exa exact same service at four o'clock uh, on both days, six o'clock both days and, and 8 p.m. both days. And that's intentional because on the 24th, here in our main sanctuary, at these three times, every seat in this house and every place that we can fit a chair will be absolutely full. Uh, and, and here's what always happens. If you're a regular attender here, you know to get here 30 minutes early so you can get a seat. But the first time guest walks in and they're the ones that are sitting in the far corners. And so uh, here's what I wanna encourage you to do. If the 23rd works for you and for your family, I'd love for you to consider coming to the four o'clock, six o'clock, or eight o'clock on the 23rd. Now, do not leave today and say, the pastor told us we couldn't even come to Christmas Eve services. No, don't say that. All I'm simply saying is this, that if you are able to come on the 23rd, I want you to know that you are providing a gift to someone who may be experiencing your church for the very first time uh, and ensuring that they have the best, uh, the best experience possible. 
so this series uh, is titled, This is Christmas. We are talking about those things that we naturally associate with Christmas, those things that we see or we hear or we experience, and we just cannot help but find ourselves thinking this, this right here, this is what Christmas is all about. Uh, and some of those things, well, we know they have uh, nothing to do with the Christmas story that we remember here uh, in church. We know that the shepherds didn't arrive at, at the stable singing jingle bells, okay? If you didn't, that, that's not the connection with that song. But there's also things that we associate with Christmas that we don't even know what they mean. For instance, how many of you have ever seen chestnuts roasting on an open fire? Anybody? Okay, there's a few, all right. How many of y'all, that's a part of your Christmas tradition. You head out back, it's time to roast the chestnuts. Anybody? Not, not many. This is what it looks like, by the way. This is chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Don't they look good? Maybe you want to add this to your, to your Christmas tradition. But again, want to clarify, this was not the meal served by the shepherds to Mary and Joseph, okay? It's, it's Nat King Cole. That's who we have to blame for, for that and that song that, that we love uh, so much. Uh, but again, there's all of these things that we associate with Christmas that we, we love. They may not have anything to do with the Christmas story, but they're a part of our traditions and we really value that. And then there are other things, you can go ahead and take the chestnuts picture down. There are other things that, that we appreciate about the season, that we naturally associate with the season, that really do add meaning and significance to our understanding of the story that is at the heart of this season. And those are the things that we're looking at as we move uh, towards the the 25th of December. So here's what uh, I want to do today. I'm going to read to you a passage from the book of Isaiah. So I want to give you a chance to begin finding the book of Isaiah. If you brought your Bible today, uh, best way to do that, open your Bible at halfway. If you end up in Psalms or Proverbs, keep going. If you end up at Jeremiah, you've gone too far, okay? So it's somewhere in there, you'll find the book of Isaiah, it's big, uh, so it's, it's fairly easy to find. If you, br if you didn't bring your Bible, uh, you can use one of the blue Bibles that we have uh, here in, in all of our worship spaces, uh, and you'll find that on page 1073, Isaiah 9, we're gonna read verses two through six. And here's just a word of warning as you continue to find that. Uh, as I read this passage to you and then I tell you what our theme is for today, there's gonna be no immediate connection between the two, okay? In fact, some of you are gonna think that I read the wrong scripture, but I didn't, okay? This is, this is our passage for today. And by the end of this, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll see these come together, the theme that we're looking at, as well as these words from Isaiah chapter nine. So listen, listen to these words. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Now let me just give you a few words about Isaiah's ministry and the time in which he lived. Isaiah's ministry was in the late 8th century BC. You know BC means before Christ. So we're about a thousand years or just less than a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, And the kingdom that uh, uh, King David reigned over, as well as his son Solomon, you may know that that uh, massive kingdom of Israel was uh, was essentially split into two kingdoms following Solomon's reign, the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom, both of which would eventually fall to foreign adversaries. So 722 BC, that happened in the north, Uh, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. 586 BC, that happened in the southern kingdom as they fell to the Babylonians. And Isaiah's ministry happened in between those two uh, significant events. So the northern kingdom had already fallen. And so much of Isaiah's ministry was about warning the southern kingdom of what was about to happen to them reminding them of what had happened to their northern neighbors. And he was given the wonderful, encouraging task of sharing with them, this is what's gonna happen to you too. And, and he connects that with the way in which they had been living their life, that they hadn't lived uh, and, and organized their life together around the, the law and the way God had invited them to live. And so much of what Isaiah writes is, is words of warning and, and prophetic words of, uh, of an impending doom that was coming. But sprinkled among those very challenging words are these words of hope, like we find here in Isaiah chapter 9. And we'll read several more over the course of the next few weeks. The reason being that we want to highlight the idea that the Christmas story actually doesn't begin with an angel coming to Mary and sharing with her this incredible news. It doesn't start with this journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem or what happens there in that manger in Bethlehem. The Christmas story actually begins at the very beginning And we see its roots here in these words written again almost a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. So here's what we're talking about today. Today we're talking about children. And again, I know you don't make any connection between what we just talked about, but just stick with me for a moment. When we think about Christmas, I think we naturally make an association with children. We think about the way in which kids experience this great magical season. If you have kids in your house, I have a 14-year-old, a 10-year-old, Christmas is all about them and what we want them to experience at Christmas. If that's your house, again, I bet that's close to your experience as well. If you have grandkids or great-grandkids, nieces or nephews, You're thinking about them as you think about Christmas and how you hope that they will experience this wonderful season. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, many of our traditions revolve around the way kids experience Christmas. And we value that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's awesome the, 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 what we hope that they experience as they go through this season. And the other thing is, uh, when we think about Christmas, I think we also cannot help but think about our own childhood. And think about what it was like as a kid to experience Christmas. Now our experiences vary. Those those times in our life look very different among us. There were different traditions that that we had for some of us. Everyone came to our house. For others, you may have traveled to to another family member's house. All traditions varied underneath your tree. There may have been an abundance of gifts or there may have been very few gifts. 
I grew up in a house where from about September on, mom wouldn't buy us anything because she wanted that tree to be filled with gifts. So you could expect socks and underwear and all of these things you'd been waiting for. I mean, they were all wrapped up under the tree because she wanted us to have so many gifts. That may not have been your experience, but perhaps all of us can remember what it was like to anticipate the coming of Christmas Day. You can remember what it was like for your excitement to continue to grow as, as the calendar got closer to the 25th of December. I was in the store the other day and I found one of these. Some of you may not know what this is. This is an advent calendar. Uh, and I had these, I think, every year growing up. And then I realized that the advent calendar looks good with the suit, doesn't it? I mean, not, not, yeah. So if you didn't have one of these, the idea is that you would open up one of these little boxes here and inside was a little piece of chocolate. And you got to open it up first thing in the morning and have some chocolate, which that's pretty cool. First thing in the morning, you get some chocolate. And every one that you opened, it was a reminder that you were getting closer and closer to Christmas. So I just had to buy one of these for each of my kids, not because they're in need of more chocolate in their life, right? But because it was a reminder of my own experience growing up as a child. Now, my son quickly told me that the chocolate's not very good. To which I said, you're gonna eat it, okay? This is how we celebrate Christmas. But maybe you can, you can relate to that. You can remember that sense of anticipation, that sense of excitement. Maybe you can remember what it was like on Christmas Eve to toss and turn for what seemed like hours, just trying to fall asleep because you were so excited about what you might find underneath that Christmas tree. And if you can remember that, if you can reconnect to that experience and that excitement, that anticipation, then hopefully this observation will also make sense to you. And that is that our sense of anticipation does not go away. That's actually not something that is exclusive to our childhood. That longing that we have, in fact, you could make the argument, I think, that that longing that we experience as kids it only increases as we mature in our life and we experience more of a world that is slightly more complicated than we thought it once was when we were just kids. That sense of longing, that, that need for uh, something to come into our life to set the world right again, that longing only grows as we experience a world that is not as it should be or not as we would want it to be. As we engage with the reality of humanity, as we recognize that sometimes we are just hit right between the eyes with how frail and fleeting life can be. That longing only grows. So we think about the, the need we have for, for somehow the world to be set right again, which by the way, moms and dads, that might be one of the reasons why we tend to go overboard at Christmas, because we want our children to persist in that belief that life really could be this simple, that you can make a wish and a wish is granted on the 25th of December, right there for you, underneath that tree. We wanna delay for them 
the, the reality that the world isn't quite that easy. The world is often much more difficult and much more painful than we would want it to be, which is, by the way, what brings us back to Isaiah. And why it's so important for us to remember that the Christmas story, it really doesn't begin with the journey to Bethlehem. But the roots of it we find almost a thousand years prior to a people who Isaiah said were walking in darkness, who were about to experience what life was like in a land of deep darkness. In other words, Christmas actually begins at that same place of longing that we all feel that need for the world to be set right again. And, and here in the, in the scriptures, uh, Isaiah speaks of that longing. He speaks of the days of Midian's defeat, the day when God released the yoke, took away the yoke of their oppressors. He speaks of a, of a future peace as he talks about warriors' boots and battle used, uh, uh, the, the garments used in battle being destined for burning for the fire, all of those things being set aside because the world has finally been set right again. In other words, part of what Christmas is meant to do in your life and in my life is to expose again our deep need for a savior. To expose again for us the reality that the world is not as it should be or as we would want it to be. And we all long for someone or something to come and to somehow set the world right again. And that resolution that we seek, that we long for in our life, it isn't something that we can wrap up and place under a Christmas tree. It is instead something that we find in this child born in Bethlehem, the one who is God's response to the longing of humanity a savior who has come, who Isaiah says will be known as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace, one who will come, who will be a great light, one whose coming will represent a new morning where the sun rises again. And within the Christian faith, we have a word for this. The word is hope. That's what hope is. That's what hope means. Listen to what Hebrews 11 verse one says. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see, which reminds me of a story from one of my favorite books. And since it's Christmas and we like to read stories, I wanna read this to you with my apologies that there's no pictures to share with you. When my son Jacob was six years old, I took him to an amusement park. There were only a few people in the park that day, so we went from ride to ride without having to wait. We came upon a ride that I had never ridden before, but I assumed was fun. After all, we were in an amusement park. We got in our seats and a teenage boy buckled us in and soon the ride started whirling and spinning us faster and faster, jerking us around and up and down. 
I held on to my son Jacob as hard as I could, afraid that he would fly out of his seat. With white knuckles and gritted teeth, I prayed the entire 90 seconds for the ride to end. I looked over at Jacob who was laughing and having a great time. When we got off the ride, I saw the name of it in bright red paint, the Scrambler, which I thought was so appropriate. Jacob said, that was fun, let's do it again. I said, no. What I felt like saying was not a chance ever again. I am the worst father in the world. Please forgive me. And so as we sat down on a nearby park bench, I asked my son, weren't you scared? That ride was pretty wild. Why did you get on a ride like that? And my son Jacob answered with childlike honesty, because you did, Dad. Right or wrong, James Bryan Smith writes, that little guy trusted me. So today I want to invite you to think about hope. And I want you to think about what hope actually does in our life. When we think about hope as more than just a wish for uh, some particular outcome, but when we think about hope as the assurance that we have by faith, hope is what allows us to embrace that longing, to quit running from it, but to recognize the reality of the longing that we have. Hope is what gives us the courage to admit our need and to sometimes ask for help. Hope is what enables us to acknowledge the limits of our own humanity, to to acknowledge that thing that we would rather not talk about. Hope is what enables the faith that cries out for a savior. Hope is what opens the heart to Bethlehem's child. The one who is known as Emmanuel, God with us, like a father and a son together on a great day. And a son who recognizes that I'm safe as long as I'm with you, dad. So this Christmas, as you think about your kids and you think about your grandkids and again, all those that we hope experience the the wonder and the magic of this season, I wanna, I wanna ask you this question. What are you longing for? What need do you have in your life? What is it that within you, maybe you haven't even told anybody yet, but there's something there that remains unsatisfied. There's a hole that perhaps right now you're trying to fill. What is the longing that you have in your life and what would it look like for you to entrust that and surrender that to Jesus this Christmas? What would it look like to come to the the manger this Christmas and to recognize that the gift that is there is the savior that you have been longing for or the savior that again would invite you to place your trust in him? That's what hope is and that's part of why We celebrate and we love Christmas. Let's pray.
Loving God, today we acknowledge our need of you. We acknowledge that within us there is something that cries out. We acknowledge and admit, Lord, that we need a savior. And we, Lord, by faith, grab hold of hope in order that we might also receive the gift of this child born in Bethlehem. We pray, Lord, for your blessing over all of our children, but also, Lord, over every child in this world. May they also know as they grow, Lord, the hope that is in you. And all these things we pray today in the name of Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.